Hello and welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. Today, I'm your host, Alistair Howarth, filling in for our top dog, Zayn Nabi, who has recently celebrated the birth of his second child. Congrats to him, and he is rightfully enjoying some much-needed rest, or at least we hope we hope he is. We haven't heard from him, so we hope he's getting the rest that he needs. Unlikely, though. But our other money makers are here today, and they're here to play Francis Inquine and Courtney Freeze. Gentlemen, how are you both doing? Well, I'll take that with, with great humility. <laughs> doing very well. It's a real pleasure being with you guys. I'm very, very happy to be away from the cold. Uh, so made my way into sunny Africa yesterday and feeling very chuffed. Actually, before, before I even let Courtney speak, I need to tell the listeners and the viewers about this. Because before we started this podcast, before Francis joined the call... I was speaking with Courtney and I was saying how happy I am. The clocks have changed in the UK. We're seeing more sun. We're getting bright. And Courtney, what, what did you tell me when I, when I said that? I, 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 it's something that does not bother me because I hate the sun. I cannot take warm weather. I hate the mosquitoes, the flies, the, 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 the sleeping with the fan on. Oh man, I can't. I love waking up in the middle of winter when it's cool under a warm blanket, nice and dark. You go outside, nice and crisp, walk into your car, put your car on with the heater, sit there for a while, warm up. Winter invigorates me, summer destroys me. There you have it. An African brother who hates warmth, hates sunlight, hates everything good in this world. You can keep it. (laughs) Until the cows come home, I don't like it. I mean, we don't have to be surprised by this. It did move from South Africa to England by choice. That's very true. That's very true. <laughs> Francis, that's a brilliant one, Francis. That's a brilliant... Francis, can I tell you my one of my, my greatest um, acquisitions this last week? I don't know if you can see this. It says whistle. Whiskey. Is that whiskey lip balm? That's what I'm oh, wow. talking about, Alistair. Oh, this man is whiskey getting drunk on the job with his lip balm. <laughs> and, and, and not that we're promoting it for anybody else out there, but just for the whiskey drinkers of non-blended uh, scotch whiskey, uh, whiskey lip balm for those who like nice lips. <laughs> and and there are sponsors for today's podcast, <laughs> as Courtney has alluded to. <laughs> amazing well anyway we're not here to talk about the sun and whiskey although i mean me and francis i'm sure would love to talk about the sun courtney more so the whiskey but today we're talking about the afcon qualifiers yes we've had a lovely break from the men's club football for our brothers to come back to the continent and play some good football in preparation and to qualify for the 2023 africa cup of nations which will be hosted in 2024 in january hopefully in the ivory coast and, you know, we've seen some some of the big names doing their thing. Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, uh, Sebastian Allaire on his return to international duty scoring. You know, Algeria beating Niger back to back and are now once again continuing their absurd form. I think they're undefeated and I can't even remember how many years in group stage qualifying for major tournaments. But there are two notable teams. In fact, three I should mention as well with, with Nigeria struggling with Guinea-Bissau. But the two teams I want to mention today are the two teams of beloved Courtney and Francis who both suffered their home teams, their own teams on home soil suffered 
poor results, we'll put it that way. Cameroon drawing 1-1 at home with Namibia. A familiar face to PSL fans will have seen Peter Chalulie putting them in the, in, in the lead before Cameroon struck back. But back down in South Africa, Courtney, what happened with South Africa against Liberia? I feel like a Spurs fan. That's all I can say. I don't know if I'm tired of being upset or I'm tired of being tired. But I'm both. I'm just miserable. Let me tell you the truth. I'm going to speak the gospel truth here. I'm not going to tell a word of a lie. I don't even want to blame the manager no more. I think his hands are tied. His hands are tied in the preparation of a team that has got superstars within the PSL and players that should be doing much better for him. But then, with those advantages... Kef, give us an advantage. Kef, give us a bonus. Kef, give us something they've given nobody else. We're playing with 13 men in the team. <laughs> There's only three teams in our, in, our, in our group. Three. Three. That's one less than four, one more than two. Three. Liberia have a population of no more than three million. We would have lost points to Zimbabwe. Lost points if they were playing in the group. What do we do against Liberia? Obviously, we go 2-0 up. We're flying. We're flying. We concede a bad own goal, which can happen. But now, this is when I talk about preparation here, yeah, Ali and Francis. I talk about preparation. I talk about studying your opponent. The guy picks up the ball on the right-hand side. His greatest asset is the cannon in his left leg, okay? The cannon he possesses. Prior to the game, he's saying to him, make sure when this guy gets on his left, you don't, you close the left foot down. You don't want him to get a shot off. It's the 92nd minute. What is the communication to the team? Kick it anywhere. Play Wimbledon football. Kick it anywhere. Don't get clever. This is not time for Pip. Guardiola, it's not time for me. It's time for Sam Allardyce. We need the Sam Allardyce. No, the team is struggling to react. The manager sitting there after the press conference, like his wife left him. Like she's walked out. Then well, the manager well, doesn't want to take the press conference. He's been employed to do that. That's his job. My goodness gracious, that's his job. He's got to face the music when things don't go right. That's why they pay him the big money. That's why when the lights go off in South Africa, his lights don't go off because he paid big money. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace, I tell you. And you know what's a disgrace? We're in a handicapped group, and I use that word very sensitively, not to uh, um, berate or insult anybody. We're in a handicapped group yet. There's three, there's three teams in that group. We should be coming out comfortably from that group. Second, Morocco no. will beat us every day and on Sunday with eight players. That's because we're just not good enough to beat them. Morocco are a powerhouse. But for goodness sake, man, what is going on in South Africa? Let's just pack everyone up, pack everything, put them in the boxes, pack on the bus, on top of the bus with the goats, and just send them into the sea. I'm sick of them. 
Now, wow. for the for those of you who don't know, the reason that South Africa are in this position is there are two groups in the, the Africa Cup of Nations qualifying that have been reduced to three teams because two very special teams deemed themselves too good for AFCON football. And those teams are Zimbabwe and Kenya. And both Zimbabwe and my own beloved Harambe stars decided to get themselves banned from FIFA. Kenya have since had that ban rescinded, but uh, both of those teams were removed from their AFCON groups. And so that leaves South Africa joint bottom of their group with Liberia having drawn both of them with one point, both having lost to Morocco. And so South Africa are traveling back to now play the away game against Liberia in need of a win. If Now, if they win, that's it. They're almost guaranteed through the group because, as, as Courtney said, it's unlikely Morocco will lose against Liberia. But they're also now vulnerable to not make it to the AFCON after missing out at the last edition as well. But let's let's travel over to that other group because the other team that has been the beneficiary of of, uh, of Kenya being knocked out of their group is Cameroon's is uh, Francis's very own Cameroon, who are in a group with Namibia and Burundi. But like South Africa, Cameroon are are making making heavy work of it, to say the least. Francis, how you know Cameroon were without Eric Maxine Chupamokting, without Bonsa Abubakar, and it didn't seem to go according to plan. What 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 didn't go right in the in the one one draw for the for your boys? I just think it's football. I'm less sensationalist, maybe, than my brother Courtney. Um, at the start of every football game, it's win, draw, or lose. And that can happen in any game. And there are no gimmies. Um, the truth is, okay, we could say um, the team should apply itself better or they should do better. But at the same time, if we put it into perspective, um, these players get together a matter of days before the game. Um, they come in from different geographies. They have three days, four days before that first game. In Cameroon's case, in my opinion, the loss of a person like Ochipo Motting, the loss of uh, Vincent Abubakar, who should be back for the next game, the loss of even uh, Toko Ekambi, that's our front three on any given day. And so you've ended up with like a new front three. Uh, in the middle of the park, they were trying out um, a new player um, who ended up being the gentleman who scored the equalizing goal. But that was his first game for Cameroon. It was a good show. In defense, you had a young player in Wu who went off after 34 minutes uh, with a bad injury. Um, so, yes. They could and should have done better, but I would like to believe the more days they've had, uh, they traveled out the same night. I believe uh, training's been going okay. They play again tomorrow. If after the two games, and that's the point I'd like to make to Courtney, if after the two day games from a team that maybe you should be getting six points, you don't have four, I think at that point in time, you can maybe be really, really disappointed. But at this point in time, I think it's halfway, especially in a three-game or three-team group. So one win in, the, in South Africa. We're actually playing in South Africa because uh, the Namibian pitch or stadium is not um, up to calf standards, whatever these standards are. But So we're playing in South Africa. So Namibia, in this case, don't have home advantage, let's say. Um, so it's almost like a game in neutral ground. And in that space... And after the number of days they would have had together, I think we'd be in a better position to have a go with our coach. 
But at present, the most important thing was that we didn't lose. And that's what I'd like to share with Courtney, that you know, sometimes <laughs> not losing is more important than losing. Because, yes, you should have won or you could have won. And in your case, you were two nil up. And you may feel hard done by, especially at, with the timing of the equalizer. But in Cameroon's case, we actually came back from a really, really bad place. And our game was really poor. But I want to believe that game was for more down to a, a fresh set of players playing together in in a lineup that was the first time it was being put together. So you can't say this was the Cameroon team that we saw play the last game against Brazil at the World Cup. This is a completely different team. Not completely, but new personnel, especially up front. And those little understandings that come with the time you've spent together, you must give them the time to find those little understandings. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt till tomorrow when I will borrow some phrases, words, and passion from Courtney if we get back together to analyze a defeat. But if it's a victory, I'll be waxing lyrical about how fantastic Riverbird Farm is. Well, I think, you know, Alistair, that's a very measured approach from Francis. And if, if my team was in the position excuse me, my country was in the position where, where Francis is. Because you must remember, Francis has put it very well there. He's laid it out. The blueprint is clear. You can see it. Cameroon, simple summary, did not have their big hitters with them in order to get into that fixture. They also had a new front line getting together. Boom. There you go. Let's not tell a word of a lie. That's not what we had. We had everyone back. We had the big hitters, everybody there to do a job for us, and we couldn't do a job. Besides missing these multiple point-blank chances, we then go and squander a goal and give a goal away in the 92nd minute. And you've got to give the guy credit for the shot he took. Sangara's strike in the 92nd minute was absolutely unbelievable. You know, Ronwin Williams, who's been a guest on our show, is a quality goalkeeper. But the guy gets, gets wide and hammers it with his left foot, and it Bends, man, like a banana, and then comes back on itself into the far post. A lovely strike, a lovely strike. Any a strike to win a game. Unfortunately, it was to get a point. And for those of you who haven't, I would look up the highlights of of that game because that Mohamed Sangari strike was spectacular. I mean, as as frustrating as it was for the likes of Courtney, for us neutrals to see a goal struck like that was a, a thing of joy. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll move on to a, to a country that has done slightly better in, in recent times. Um, we made reference to, you know, this was the first time that Cameroon played since their mighty, mighty victory against Brazil, the first African team to beat, you know, the biggest and most famous football team on the planet. And we've only gone and followed it up with another African team teaching them, teaching the Brazilians a lesson in how to play football with Morocco beating Brazil 2-1. The Brazilians went to Tangiers to visit Morocco without head co a head coach after Chiche decided to leave his post following the World Cup. And Morocco played another excellent game. Goals from Abdelhamid Samiri as well as Sofian Bufal were enough to give him the win despite Casemiro also getting a goal for Brazil. A spectacular result for, you know, a team that looks in superb shape. And, you know, I've got to ask guys that, you know, it's very early you know, on to be making predictions about the AFCON, but, you know, surely we've Based off of what we've seen in our previous podcast, we were talking about the success of Senegal at Chan and U20 AFCON. 
is, is there a sense that maybe we're starting to see, you know, an era or an age, even just temporarily, where these are the two big hitters? You know, before Morocco was Algeria and Senegal were the big hitters for a few years. Does it feel like this is it's shifting in that direction? Francis, I'll come to you. Do you feel like Morocco are actually, you know, they have the capacity to step up and, you know, maybe go one better and actually compete with Senegal and, and take it to them this AFCON? I've always believed in the projects that nations like Morocco have been able to put together. And I think it's just a combination of hard work, the building of systems. I'm a firm believer in systems. This is not a, a one-off type result. This is the culmination of, of great effort. But before I even go into the analysis of what they could do in the AFCON, I want to commend the Moroccans, first of all, being able to bring a team like Brazil to the continent mm -hmm. to play a game on the continent so our citizens can watch beautiful players like Casemiro do what they do on our pitches, on home turf. This is the sort of ambition we must have. This must become the normal for African football overall. We must play against the best and we must play them on home turf. We must bring them to our space. So I'd like to commend, first of all, the Royal Federation in Morocco for organizing such a game in Tangiers for their citizens and for their team, first of all. And secondly, yes, I do believe that they will be up there. I've believed in this Moroccan team and the work that they've been putting together for many years. It's 14 years deep. And I think they now have a set of people from leadership uh, in terms of the admin people who then can organize games like this for them to the, the coaching staff that they have in place who are ambitious to the playing talent that they have on the pitch and the fans who travel with their team, who turn up at the stadiums to be the 12th, 13th and 14th person to give more win to the sales of their nation. These things are important. Home advantage has to count for something. So yes, um, I think we should be looking forward to a very, very healthy competition for the win in, in Ivory Coast in 2024, in January. And it's good for African football that we will have the Senegalese, we will have the Moroccans, we will have the Algerians, we will hopefully have the Cameroonians. Hopefully we'll have the South Africans. Hopefully we'll have the Ivorians. Hopefully we'll have the Nigerians. Hopefully we'll have 10, 12 amazing teams playing amazing football where the winner will be winning not because they had an easy walk in the park, but because they played competitive football and they deservedly won at the end of it. If it's Morocco, so be it. But I think they're doing everything that they need to do to put themselves in the position to be contenders. Absolutely. And, and I love the, the way you're talking about how important this friendly is, because I think it's a great example of using your success to breed more success. Because, you know, the fact, you know, exactly. because the, the reality is, you know, I'd be very doubtful that they could have pulled Brazil for a game if they hadn't have gotten to the semifinal of the World Cup. But you say exactly. as soon as they get to the semifinal, right, we couldn't, you know, we've got the Club World Cup, we've got, you know, we've already got Vinicius Jr. And, and Rodrigo and these guys coming for, for Real Madrid. Let's get the Brazilians in as well. Right. And you have to have the sort of management at that executive level who have that understanding, who have the role of Dex as well, 
who can reach out to the other federation and say, what do we need to do? What do we need to put in place? And if there are costs involved, which they are, the Brazilian team um, are known for also not being a, a, an inexpensive team to invite onto your turf. So you also have to have the backing in place that allows you to be able to cut the check if you need to cut the check for them to join you. Or to be able to say there'll be a revenue split on the TV rights or on the gate receipts, whatever it is. But you must have something that you're offering because they don't come for nothing because it costs a lot for any of these things to move. So it's good to have this matching of desire across all the stratosphere. But it's important that on the pitch you're able to deliver. And making hay while the sun shines is, speaks exactly to the point you were making. Because they had this good World Cup, you have to then line up your next moves. And these next moves, like them beating uh, 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 Brazil, allows them to be in a position to say, you know what, next time we want to invite France or we want to invite Argentina and have Messi come play on, on the African soil. It's not impossible. And they've shown that this is possible and it's real and other nations must be looking to copy this. You know, Francis, you're talking about... You, you, you know, someone would think that the steps you're talking about are, if I must be very honest, they are common sense, simple steps. You, you, your correct planning has put Morocco in place with a powerful team that made a loud noise during the World Cup and is now able to attract bigger teams to come and play on their continent. Let's not forgetting the planning of facilities Alistair spoke about a few months back that is happening in Morocco. So the... The planning procedure is there. And then with this large hook, you catch large fish. They want yes. to come and enjoy your facilities and also experience your country. And then also promote the game, not only in their spaces, but in our spaces as well. Yes. Brilliant point. But the most important word there is planning. That is what my country is not having. <laughs> A lack of planning. So I was speaking to a head coach this weekend after this fixture because I'm not the only South African out there crying in his soup. He was saying, we don't want to go to the African Nations Cup, Courtney. Why do you want South Africa to go? Because what's going to happen? They're going to go with this poor planning and go expose ourselves even more on the top table. We don't because the top table is where top tier things happen. We are not there yet. But how can we not be there with everything we have? How? It fails to believe. With all the facilities, with the finance that runs through it, the planning can be so poor. That's why I, I, I commend how you critically diagnose the importance of planning to the Morocco brand. And how things... Because, Alistair, you also spoke about how promising the, the the female brand is also being pushed in Morocco in regards to the the facilities it, it's just wonderful to see that just proper common sense thought has put this team in that in that position other people are failing man failing failing with everything but if i may if i may interject i think maybe if you didn't like the winter so much you could have contributed by being home and lending your fantastic planning abilities to the South African no, Federation. 
I would do the job for less money with less with less backroom staff and less and less sun. I, I think we'd be we'd be better. We would be better. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm all ears. Courtney Fries, Safa president. I, I could I could do it. And absolutely. I wouldn't need half of the people at a backroom store. Firstly, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have a media officer putting out the assistant coach to talk to the manager when the <laughs> manager's in the back room. What's he doing there? The manager needs to go out and face the music. Where have you heard of a thing like this? The manager sends the assistant coach out. After a, after a humiliating result. No, the assistant coach, you go talk. I'll hide behind covers. No, it's, it, 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 even though he is struggling, and I don't blame you, Bros. I don't blame him because I can see he's got shackles on him. He is tightened with the poor planning. I'll even call it backward planning. But Free, that he, brother Free, maybe, maybe those same shackles were the ones that said he shouldn't go out because maybe he might have said some things that they didn't really want to come out. Well, you know, there's been other managers that have told told the truth. It doesn't hurt. There's this uh, Conte told the truth. Well, he lost his job for well, it. Well, he's out of his job. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't matter, but he told the truth. The Spurs players don't want to play. They, they're too happy. They're too happy. They like driving their cars and being neat. This is what's happening in South Africa. Those players are too happy. They, they, they're loving life. Life's too good. That's why none of them go to Europe. They're just too happy with these big pace, pay packets. Too happy. But maybe this maybe this also speaks to what we were talking about before, about like this maybe over-introspective uh, attitude that South Africa has. Because like when we talk about the planning, it's the ability to understand how you connect to others outside of your space. And I think there's maybe just too much going on internally where people actually believe what's happening with the league and what's happening locally is good enough, you know? And so they're not connecting to the bigger ambition that goes beyond your shores. It's just a thought. Because planning is not, the, or the absence of planning, is not the reserve of just the South African team. Even in our country, we have some people who, and I'm one of those people who like criticizes the fact that we built new infrastructure, for example, and we haven't made use of it. And we have this new this game, and we can't and don't play at the stadium that was just built in the city um, for great sums of money. Um, doesn't get used with its fantastic pick, and we end up on a. Uh, don't even get me started on that part. But, <laughs> but the planning part is a conversation that I think many African countries need to have. Foresight and having the right people in place who can do the non-football things. Because I think that's where we come up short. This belief that football for footballers and there's a whole exercise that goes beyond this game. And until we fully understand that football is a sport but there is the business of football that is actually more important than the game. Because when you get that right, all those other things fall into place. Whether it's the analysts that you get in and the software that you use, you have to know the people who run those software companies who can get you the best person to be able to do the analysis and the analytics that you were talking about, where they're able to help the coach to better explain to the players why they need to shut down a player's left foot. There's so many things that are coming in. 
you know the the analysis irritates me so much like if you look at if you look at South Africa's second goal by Lyle Foster um it was from a corner I'd, I'd, and I, I'd like I, I wish there's a manager sitting out there somewhere listening to me I really hope not a manager an owner so he must go to his manager and say to him why aren't you listening to that guy hey listen to what he's saying he's saying common sense since when do people not put people from corners on a post since when has that stopped happening when why can people not be marking posts from corners because if you look at so many goals and you can watch goals this weekend when 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 the premier league comes back watch goals people score from corners there's no one there imagine if there was a man standing on the post you stop goals stop goals you, you just be all of a sudden now these managers these managers are are, are um or nuclear scientists now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. You can't put a man on the post. It, it's just bad. It, it's poor, man. It's poor. Man, I could do this job, man. They could pay me with a cell phone. I could do this job. <laughs> one, one day, Courtney, we'll be, we'll be getting you into the top jobs and we'll make the progress we need. But I'm, we, speaking of planning, you know, one, one team, you know, and, and, and we're speaking about how different countries on the continent have planned well or not planned well, but one country has taken a, a, a unique, I guess, take on on that forward planning. And that's, of course, the the Nigeria Super Eagles, who, you know, had faced, suffered a, a shock 1-0 loss at home to Guinea-Bissau earlier uh, over the weekend. And they did rectify it today with a 1-0 win away from home, which should see them through effectively to qualification. But I didn't want to talk about the games themselves. But what I wanted to talk about was the commitment from the Nigerian Football Federation that they've said that, the coach, Jose Pacero, can only call up 20 players from abroad and any players over that. So in the case of this camp, 23 uh, additional players have to be selected from within uh, players who are based in Nigeria. And I, they said, in part, this is fi a financial decision. Uh, one of the board members said, we cannot afford to invite so many players from Europe anymore because we need to be very judicious in our use of the limited funds that we have. And then he also said the second part of it is that they want to promote the, Ni the Nigerian local league. So they're saying the president wants to make sure that the local league players are recognized in the Super Eagles. And this will be one way to help strengthen the league and make it more attractive. Now, ironically, one of the players called up, who is the under-20 captain, uh, Daniel Bamai, doesn't actually play in the Nigerian league system. He plays for an academy, Yum Yum FC. So he's actually not promoting the Nigerian local leagues anyway. But I wanted to get your guys' take on this. You know, is this a situation where we're making a very judicious decision as an FA to promote local football, promote youngsters? Or, as many have said, that this is, you know, a, a rather silly ploy that's come off the back of the misuse of funds. And the reality is, is why would you promote a league in this way when the league actually isn't strong enough to be promoted? I mean, we look at Nigerians' performance in continental football. You know, we only have one team, Rivers United, who are in the Confederations Cup. Not a single Nigerian team is even in the CAF Champions League. And some of the larger teams, you know, and Yimba, teams like that who've won the CAF Champions League, it's been 20 years since their last title and a long time since they made a splash on the continent. But I know, Courtney, you you are quite intrigued by the idea. What are your thoughts? I think it's brilliant. I think, I think in the weakness of where the Nigerian FA find themselves, I think they've come up with a with a, an explosive solution, which will bear fruits in another way. Yes, uh, I agree with you. There is no real league that can be is being promoted at the moment. 
but that may not be the aim. We are promoting players in and putting players into the shop window. And imagine you are a local player within this area. There's an opportunity to get in this league. And if you get in this league, move on, accelerate your, your curve. I, I, I was watching a documentary, and I think I said this to you guys the other day, the Indomitable Lions and their journey through the 1990 World Cup. The, the guys came from nowhere. Nowhere. Absolutely red sand. Red sand to go and play in Milan at a World Cup. So you think to yourself, this is providing an opportunity for someone's career to be lit here. Boom, take off, let's go. Is it, is it from great planning? It may be from a calamitous situation, but many good things have come from calamitous situations. I agree with Brother Courtney here. Um, I think the principle is commendable. Um, I think the numbers are small, in my opinion especially when you do the argument about it being a cost-saving exercise. Those three tickets are not the things that will come and change. If you have an away game and you're flying to, let's hypothetically say, South Africa, whether those players came in from London or they came in from Milan to Lagos first and then you moved from there, you'd still be doing the same outlay with the local player to get to South Africa and back. So um, the argument about the finance part, I don't really buy into fully but i like the principle and i like the principle of being able to demonstrate a pathway to local talent to be able to come in and compete learn garner experience from being with the national team um i think it, is, it can only be a positive um and i think the more nations that do this the better i also think the numbers must be higher i'm one of those kind of people who actually thinks if you're calling up 23 players there is no problem with it being seven to eight players locally that you add to this. It also sets the bar higher in terms of the types and the quality of players that we bring in from abroad. Um, because sometimes you're bringing in a player from the third division in Bulgaria just because they're playing in Europe uh, doesn't mean they're necessarily better than the player who's playing for Rivers, you know, yes, Rivers may not be playing the most competitive football, but they understand what it means to represent their nation. This is a national team. It's hard. There's some basic talent that will be there, and they will not be picking from their three duds. They would be picking from amongst maybe 2,000 players who are playing professional or semi-professional football within the nation, whether it's through its academies and everything. Like the young man you were referring to, getting a 19-year-old kid who's maybe at an academy or just starting off their journey, the opportunity to rub shoulders with an awesome man is not a, a bad thing. To learn something, to get some words in the ear and get a coach to look at him and maybe show him what good training is. Maybe that's not what the national team is supposed to be, but I would like to believe these players are getting the opportunities at the under-20s, the under-17s, the under-23s with the B team, or as we call them, the national A teams that are not like the what, the first team that actually... So there are other opportunities, and it's usually from that pool that they get sourced. But I think given a pathway to local talent to be a part of the international scene at its highest level, it's a commendable thing. And I think more nations should be looking at doing things like this. I know in Cameroon, we usually 
call up three, four, five in the initial 34, and then they get cut off. And then usually for logistical purposes, when somebody drops out, uh, one of the international players who can't make it in for whatever reason, injury or flight arrangement or something, then they pull up one of the local guys into the team. But we saw the experience of a player like Ngom, who was able to do real well for, for, for Cameroon at the World Cup and is now becoming a mainstay of this national team. Um, but he was pulled from a local team here, albeit he had been one of ours and we had him travel to the States and now he finds himself playing in Europe. But that's because he had this opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel conf I feel conflicted about it because I think on the one hand, right, yeah, like I think international teams are so bloated as it is, you know, even in this in this window, you know, very few teams are going to use more than you know eighteen players, so you're giving players a free hit. But and I and I I, I love what you're talking about is we need pathways for these players to, to develop, mm -hmm. and I also Absolutely. appreciate that different countries have different climates and you know and and can see success in different ways. But I think for me, I find it frustrating because it feels almost like you're, it's like a box ticking exercise because you're saying, oh, we're promoting the local league because we're giving three players a chance to train with the national team. Whereas, you know, really, especially a league like Nigeria's, it needs a lot more. It needs investment. It needs an infrastructure, you know, and I, you know, my fear is that, you know, I, I think I would feel very different if it was a nation like South Africa or Egypt, you know, or Morocco that has a very strong, thriving local league. And, you know, even Cameron, your I think that's a gr great point, Francis, is, that, is Ngom, you know, even in Cameroon, it's a stronger team league than, than what we see in Nigeria, you know, and we see teams like Cotton Sport being able to compete, you know, and while again, I don't think it's an excuse that I think Cameroon's domestic football needs to, you know, get back to where it was a long time ago, still like Nigeria. I think that's where I find it hard is I'm worried that, Teams will use that as a box-ticking exercise. You know, I, I, I'm a firm believer of, of, of learning not only from football, but learning from other sports which are close to us, where people do excellent things. This type of thing's been happening for a long time in other sports. Cricket. Players get taken along who are not even going to be part of the team. To experience the culture, grow the culture, get to mm. know it. For, so when the day they do get there, they know what it's about. Now, Alistair, I also agree with what you're saying. I don't think the Nigerian FA even need to say this. Just pick people. You don't need to say, well, we're putting in a policy of... You don't need to, you know. They, they, but I think they, their transparency in some ways is great, but in some ways it's not great for certain people, okay? I don't have a problem with it. I really don't. Um, but there is an opportunity that those players, if they flourish... They will come into the system and it won't be... Uh, let, let's go back to what Francis was saying earlier on about what happened with Cameroon against Namibia. The, the, the new system that was put in place with the players needed to gel and needed to, to be with each other for more, uh, for a bit of a longer time. But these players, if given the opportunity, they're around... The, the players, they are smelling the grass. They are smelling and taking in all the, 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 the tactics. They are part of the system. And, and I think it can only benefit Nigeria. I think Nigeria have taken a very brave, brave step. The, the hypocrisy in what they're doing is talking about the finance. Mm. If you want to make, make a dent in the finance, 
let's do what you guys were speaking to me about about two months, about a month ago, where you were saying in the Premier League, in these leagues, they've shut down their, their youth development systems. Then you will make savings on money. But to, to not buy three plane tickets. Nope. That, that's not going to make an impact. So I think that, that just... That just for someone who's possibly sitting in a pub and had maybe six or seven beers, that the reason will wash with them. But no. And I think it particularly doesn't look good when we just had the FIFA conference where they said they're giving record amounts to every federation. And, you know, it feels like there shouldn't be an excuse to have a few players travel um, if, if your money is being spent well. Well, guys... As always, we appreciate and love having you guys around the Bri. And if there's any of you Nigerians out there listening and you vehemently agree with these guys or disagree, you think that, you know, having this policy stops players like, you know, Gift Orban, who's been brilliant in Belgium from getting in the team, or you're saying, actually, no, we need to focus purely on these players. Let's get rid of all the international players. I only want to play, see players who are playing in, in the Nigerian Professional League then please let us know. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OTW underscore podcast and on YouTube and Facebook, just on the whistle podcast. Please give us a listen. Please give us a review and always come back to listen to us. We have, we come out every single week and hopefully soon Zane will be back with us. But until then, we're loving life around the bride. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your wisdom, your humor, and you're both your equal parts optimism and pessimism. I'll let you guess who is which. <laughs>